Let's stand this evening. Get ready to worship the Lord. Those joining online, we welcome you this evening to our Sunday evening worship service. Those in-house, we're glad you were able to make it back. Let's sing an old praise chorus of the church. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. somehow in some way bring glory and honor to you we worship you tonight and we ask you to come and make residency in our midst in this moment in christ's name we pray ask all these things as the body of christ said
Lord, we welcome you, Lord, in this place because surely we know your presence is in this place. The reason we know that is we can feel you every day. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we need it most, you make yourself real and evident in our daily lives. And so today, Lord, we are declaring this evening that surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We can feel it. We can experience it today during this Christmas season. Love you, Lord. In Christ's name. Let's sing this together.
not just a cappella together. For surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. For surely the presence of the Lord is I can hear the brush. Oh, I can hear the brush of angels. I can see glory. I see glory on each face. For surely. Father, we thank you today for your spirit that we feel in this place today. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. God, as we get ready to break the bread of life today, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts the solemnness of this moment. Open our eyes, hearts, and ears to receive from you today. Thank you for the spirit of God we felt this morning. Likewise, Lord, we know that same spirit is in the house tonight that we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. People of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. The book of Isaiah, chapter 64. Don't forget that you can always download the Our Church app and uh, search Santee Circle, C-O-G. And uh, it'll tell you all that's going on in our property, what's going on in our church, and all the stuff that's happening. You also can go to our website, SanteeCircleCOG.org, SanteeCircleCOG.org, for all information regarding things that are happening around our property. You can also subscribe to our Apple and Google podcasts, and you can hear uh, the messages and the stuff that's going on. You can hear every service that's been recorded, and uh, it's on there for you to go back and listen to it. You can also go back on the YouTube as well as the Facebook pages of the church, Santee Circle COG, at both of those uh, handles. Uh, and you can always watch the services again. You can watch them online at the website or on Facebook and YouTube again. Or if you want to just listen to it in an audio format, you can listen to it on Google and Apple Podcasts. Uh, as always, especially those that watch online, there's multiple ways to give to the ministry, not only the media ministry, but all the ministries at Santee Circle. You can do it in-house here on the physical property uh, via uh, the tithing boxes in the front and in the back. Uh, you can do it on an envelope system uh, where you mail it. You can do it on, a t- on the app called tithe.ly. It's an app you can download. Just put the church's name in there to bring it up. Or you can go online to SanteeCircleCOG.org backslash give, and there will be a button there, and it will tell you all the stuff to do for that. Don't forget, for the next two weeks, we are taking up offerings, a missional offering above tithes and offerings to help the needs of those that were decimated uh, by the tornadoes that hit Kentucky, Tennessee, and some of those surrounding states. They they were hit pretty hard. Many churches of God uh, were destroyed. Uh, many 
homes of Church of God people, but not only that, but countless people that may not know Jesus Christ. This is the opportunity for the church to be the hands and feet extended and help them in their most difficult of time. So for the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to be collecting, and then after this first Sunday in January, uh, which will be, I guess that would be January 2nd, uh, after that service, we will uh, take whatever we have and we will send it off to help all of those involved with that. No matter if it's a dollar or a thousand dollars, anything you can give to help the mission uh, of helping these people rebuild their lives, I know they would appreciate it, but ultimately I know God will honor that. I learned a long time ago, you never can outgive God. As much as you give to Him, He always gives it back to you, so you're never going to outgive Him. So uh, we know we're blessed around here with all the stuff we've been given over the years, so it doesn't hurt us to sometimes give back so that we don't get complacent with collecting but never giving back. So make sure that you are mindful of that. Don't forget we're still always going to finish up our series called The Characters of Christmas next Sunday morning, the uh, 26th of December. Let me give you a couple of housekeeping items, both online and those in-house. There will be no midweek service in-house this week. Uh, we will, uh, I'll get on Wednesday night around 7 and have an online version of the Christmas reading of the Christmas story and just sharing some thoughts about the Christmas season uh, during that particular time uh, that you can watch on our Facebook page, Santee Circle COG, or on the YouTube channel. Uh, hopefully it will be up there as well. Uh, if not, it will definitely be on Facebook and we'll stream it across there shortly thereafter. But that will be on there as well. Next Sunday, we'll have Sunday morning service uh, like normal, but not a p.m. service due to too many people are just still going to be trying to shuffle and bustle their families. But I obviously didn't want to take the entire Sunday off for people to not come to church at all. So it's kind of like one year, I think it was two years ago, Christmas fell on Sunday. And we made the best of it, but we still celebrated the Lord. So next Sunday, we'll have Sunday school. We'll have Sunday morning. We'll have a great time. We'll go to lunch. We'll let you rest, and we'll see you back on the, after the first of the year. So let you get through the year uh, with that. So make sure that you remember all of that. Starting in January, uh, we're going to have uh, multiple ways to give in-house. Uh, you'll still have the offering boxes, but uh, we're going to try to uh, slowly implement the uh, offering being put in offering bags again, bringing the, bringing the offerings back. Uh, we're going to probably start it, uh, not so much as passing it, but having the ushers come, stand before the people, and we just bring it at that time. Because here's what I have found out over the last month and a half. People just forget. And then they come, and they, they tell me the next week, oh, I forgot to give last Sunday, and then they hand me an envelope, but then the following week they forget again. So then the following week they tell me, and uh, they're like, Pastor, we never see you take up an offering. I said, it's on the screens. I make announcements. That's how, I mean, how many ways you want me to tell you? And they still say, oh, I, I, unless I see the plate or the bag, I forget. So we're trying to take out all excuses. You can still put them in the box. We'll check them. But we'll also have a, a dedicated time of giving. Now, that's a biblical principle. The Bible said that the uh, children of Israel had to bring their offerings to the storehouse. They had to come and bring them. And so we're going to do our best to... Uh, accommodate all there so that no one can say I didn't know I didn't see an offering plate or I you know that's gonna that's gonna fix all of that so at that point it'll just be a matter of they don't want to give it all we've taken all the excuses out so uh, starting in January if you see a couple guys coming up here right after scripture and prayer and standing here with bags they're not uh, here doing a drug deal they're uh, they're here for a reason they're specifically here so uh, this is not this is not a drive-by, um, so uh, 
make sure you're mindful of that as well. Isaiah chapter 64, let's uh, jump right in this evening. Isaiah 64, we're going to start reading uh, just in verse number 8. I'll go back and read some of the other parts of this in a moment, but right now we're just going to center on verse number 8. If you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen to my right and to my left. Should be able to see it if you do have your Bibles. Uh, great. If you have a smartphone, you can put it up on your smartphone or tablet or whatever else. I don't care if it's a digital Bible or a cellular Bible, it's there. Or you can read it on the screen. It's right out of the Word of the Lord. Here's what it says But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, and we are the clay, thou art the potter, and we all, not some of us, all of us, are the work of thy hand. You have to understand the word that it's using here. Yes, we know God's the Father. We know we're the clay. We know he's the potter. But notice how the prophet doesn't just say we are the work of his hands. He said we all. Which means even people that don't believe in Jesus, they're still the work of God's hand. Now they may not recognize who the Father is. They may not recognize their clay and they may not recognize their need for a potter to mold and make them, but whether they recognize it or not does not take away the fact that they still are the workmanship of the hand of God. And so today, I want to preach for a few minutes on the Christmas ornament. The Christmas ornament. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Help us to not only be hearers, but doers thereof. Let this word resonate. Let us bring a product that is glorifying and honoring your name. Take a coal from the altars of heaven, anoint these lips of clay, hide me behind the cross of Calvary that I can preach your word, Lord, unashamedly. And Lord, bring a product that would be pleasing to the throne room of heaven. I will forever praise you and give you the glory that is due your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You still have your Bibles. I want you to look with me. We're not going to put it on the screen, but I... I just want to read a couple verses of scripture here to set up this message tonight. In verse number one, Isaiah says this, O Lord, that you would rend the heavens and you would come down and the mountains might shake at your presence. As the fire burns the brushwood and as the fire can cause water to boil and to make your name known to the adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things. For which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook in your presence. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has any eye seen any God besides you, whose acts are for one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways, who, in, who are indeed angry, for we have sinned in the ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness, all our good deeds, the best we can offer you, God, are as filthy rags. And we all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities are like the wind and has taken us away. There is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquity. 
And then we read verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you're the potter, and we all are the work of your hand. And I want to finish with verse 9. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember our iniquities forever. Indeed, please look. We all, not some, not a few, we all are your people. Here's what I've come to understand. There's an old phrase that used to be said, and I definitely believe that it is actually more truth than this statement that I'm about to make that has been penned many years ago. Those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Now, you might say, well, that's not true, but yes, it is. We have, since the foundations of time, we have seen the travesties of war, but yet we still go to war. We have seen the brutal massacres and the inhumane attacks that different countries rage on other nations of the world all throughout history and still happening today. We have seen throughout the economy and throughout the world that history is often in a cyclical pattern. It just kind of goes in a circle. There are good years. They're not so good years. They're good years. They're not so good years. And they kind of keep going in circles. In fact, we know that that's part of, the, we know that's true because one whole book of the Bible is dedicated to cyclical patterns, the book of Judges. The book of Judges actually starts out, life's great. Right after Joshua dies, people are doing great. But then the first couple verses of Judges says, and then there arose a generation who knew not the Lord nor his mighty acts. And when that happened, there was a great falling away from the things of God. And the people began, the people of God began to dab in sin. God told them, don't intermingle, don't intermarry with the nations of the world, don't intermix the religions, you'll get pulled aside, you'll start serving the false gods. And they said, yeah, yeah, God, we'll serve you, we'll serve you. And then when Joshua dies and no one takes the reins, if you will, there's no associate pastor to take over the church, Father Moses died and Pastor Joshua took over, but when Pastor Joshua died, there was no apprentice, there was no son, there was no lineage to follow. It was kind of every man did what was right in their own eyes. They started dabbing in the things they said they wouldn't dab in. They started testing sin out a little bit more than they thought they should. And over a period of time, they found themselves deep in their transgressions and sin to the point that God would have to punish the sin. And so he would send a nation to come in and to destroy the, 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 the people of God and basically put them in captivity. Well, when they would get in captivity, the people of God would get all upset. They'd start repenting. Oh, God, we're sorry. We screwed this up. We didn't mean for this to happen. God would be merciful. God would raise up what is known as a judge. The judge would come in, defeat the nation that, was in, that had them in captivity. They would be free during that judge's rule. There would be a time of peace. But Sister Beulah, when that judge would die... You know what the people of God would do? They'd go right back to what they was familiar to them, sin. They'd start dabbing around in it. They'd start playing in it a little bit more. They'd start testing it a little bit more. And before long, Sister Alma, they'd find themselves back at square one, back in sin. And then they would start disobeying God, following away. Then another nation would rise up. They'd conquer them. They'd start repenting. God, we need help. God would be merciful. Send them another judge. And the whole book of Judges is nothing but this cyclical pattern of nations of Israel's history during that time. 
The sad part about that is, is the world we live in today similarly follows that same pattern. There are times in our history, and I'm not even talking about the nation of the world. We'll just talk about the United States. There have been times in our history where we've had, Brother Primo, great revivals. We've had great awakenings. We've had Jonathan Edwards and Dwight D.L. Moody and the Billy Grahams of the world that have shaped the foundations of a nation and the trajectory of a people and have called people out of darkness into the marvelous light and seen thousands of people come at the drop of a hat after one service or after one sermon to an altar of repentance. But after the, a series of time and after some of these great awakening preachers and other people did that, after a time somebody would come along, people would start doing what was right in their eyes. They'd start dabbing in sin. Who would have thought 30 years ago that we would have thought a woman marrying a woman would be okay? But now it's common out. It's a common thing. Who would have thought 30 years ago that we wouldn't have had prayers in schools or we would have had Ten Commandments taken out of courthouse walls or we wouldn't be able to even say the pronouns he and she because it would have to be gender neutral? Who would have thought 30 years ago, 10 years ago, that we couldn't even have men and women restrooms? We would have to have unisex restrooms based on what you identify at the moment. See, we began to dab in sin. And what happens is when that takes place, God in His righteousness and His holiness cannot look upon sin and condone the mess that that is. So for a while, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but only for a season. So what that means is there comes times where God sends punishment. I, was, I told somebody not too long ago, they were fussing about something going on in the economy and the world and, and all this stuff, and they were bashing about the Build Better Back plan and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I didn't get into all the details of, you know, who'd you vote for and all that stuff because I learned a long time ago there's two things that will get you in hot water, religion and politics. If you don't talk about them, you'll have a lot of friends. You talk about them, you're going to be on an island all by yourself with a volleyball named Wilson. That's where you'll be. I'm going to cast away island because ain't nobody going to be your friend in that moment. And the reality of it is they were talking when they got done. I said, do you think God may allow it to happen on purpose? And they said, excuse me? I said, I wonder if God just let it happen that way. What do you mean God happened that way? I said, because we spit in God's face because we thought a man could save us, not God could save us. Because for four years in the land of prosperity, everybody was talking, no, don't get me wrong. I'm glad for all the things that people do for the behalf of the church and things like that. But too many people started putting their trust in the man, not in God. People were worried about, well, we've got a better economy and we've got a better... And while that is true, nobody wanted to take credit. But it's God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and gives us the right to be able to be prosperous in the nation that we live. So sometimes God will let the people of God be punished or in captivity or bondage or face opposition... Because he has to get their focus centered back on nobody else can do for you what I can do for you. And when the, that happens in history, when the church had a belly full of it, you know what they did? They started praying to the Lord. What it did was draw the people of God back to the heart of the Father. And what it would ultimately do is men and women would start praying, God, we got to have help. You know how many people now I've come in contact with that tells me all the time, oh, I'm just praying for... For a change, I'm praying for our country. Oh, our world's in disarray. And I'm thinking to myself, you should have been praying a long time ago. You shouldn't have waited for this to happen to start praying. Some people did wait till this long, but you shouldn't have waited this long to start. And see, people pray. And you know what? I do believe God does hear the prayers of his people. Because Chronicles tells us 
that if the people will humble themselves and pray and seek His face, and they'll turn from their iniquity, they'll turn from their sin-sickened states, turn from their ways, God will forgive their sins and heal their land, which means He'll take care of all the stuff going on in the nation. But I want you to understand that sometimes we have to go through these seasons, if you will, of adversity because of decisions we make. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, or no mind can comprehend what you can do, God. We see what's going on in the world, but nobody can truly fathom what you have the capabilities of doing. And when I began to think about that in the prospect of Christmas, I began to think, as I read tonight, that we are all the work of His hand. Sinner and saint alike are formed and fashioned. For the Bible says, For you knit me together in my mother's womb, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Before I was born, you knew me. You knew all about me. Before I even could come to a cognitive recognition of needing a Savior, you still knew who I was, God. So you say, well, how does that apply to a Christmas ornament? I read a story not too long ago. There was these two women having lunch in this elegant hotel restaurant. They were approached by a friend who recognized them and asked what manner of occasion they were celebrating. The one lady replied, we are celebrating the birth of my new baby boy. Noticing there was no child there, the friend asked, but where is your son? Oh, the mother said, you surely didn't think I would bring him with me, did you? What a picture, though, the author went on to say, of the way the world treats Christmas. We all say it's the most wonderful time of the year. We celebrate it. We buy gifts. We, we pass gifts around. We do secret Santas. We make goodies. We do all that kinds of stuff. But when somebody approaches us and Ask for the reason of our celebration. All people say all the time, well, it's the Christmas season. We're going to sing the first Noel. And we'll, sinner and saint alike will stand outside with candles lit and sing silent night, holy night, all is calm. All, we'll go to Christmas carols down, down and celebrate the seasons and sing away in a manger with the best of them. Never been to church a day in our lives, but we're going to sing about the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's kind of like these two ladies. When somebody walks by and says, but, but where is the Jesus that you supposedly are celebrating? They're asking the world, basically, to say, you, you didn't think I, I wanted him, did you? You don't think I needed him, did you? They can sing Silent Night. They can sing Away in a Manger. They can sing the golden carols of Christmas. They just don't want to meet the reason for the season. They don't want anything to do with him. Because once you come face to face with the reality of him, you are now responsible for what you're going to do with him once you've been exposed to him. Because once you're introduced to him, you have a choice to make whether to accept him or reject him. But either way, now the ball's in your court. You have to make a decision what you will do once you come face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. And in preparing this message, I began to think of Christmas tree ornaments. Not too long ago, about three weeks ago, uh, I was finishing up, <coughs> excuse me, uh, appointment that I was at and in Somerville in 
Brianna met me, and we were deciding if we were going to go eat or what we were going to do. And I think it was on a Monday night. might have been Tuesday. I can't remember the exact date. I think it was Monday. And I said, hey, let's go down to the Festival of Lights in Chains Island. It's only about 6 o'clock. We can be there in about 30 minutes. She's like, well, it'll probably be packed. I said, yeah, let's see. So we checked it, and they were like, oh, you know, the little line, it says, yeah, it wasn't a, um, what they call a premium night since it was the middle of the week. It was a, a, a some other kind of, they call it a different night, a non-premium night or whatever. And so the tickets were significantly less per car to go through. And I said, yeah, you know, I just want to go see lights. And she said, well, if you think we can go. So we drove all the way to James Island. You know, I was fully expecting Brother Primo to be lined all the way down the road, flashes on, cops directing traffic. We drove right into the park. <laughs> we went right up to the first stand. We paid the money, and the lady's like, have a good night. And I'm like, nobody else came? And she's like, oh, well, you know, it's not been too busy tonight. Just keep going as many times as you want. And I'm like, man, this is, this is, I'm going to do this every year. I'm going on Monday nights. I'm not going on the weekends. For this, and uh, hopefully nobody else finds out about it. And uh, we went around to, they have multiple stopping points, and one of them is called Santa's Village. And you can get out and see the sand sculptures and stuff that they do, but they have shops. And one of the shops that you walk into is nothing but an ornament shop. I mean, hundreds. Almost, it would almost make someone who has decision-making issues go insane. You could almost lock somebody in there that has multiple personalities and leave them in there and no one would find them for about a month because they would never be able to decide which ornament they wanted it would be like a cat just 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 stuck on a hot tin roof just everywhere it would just be going all over the place and I stood in there and I saw these ladies and other people you know they had and I'm not kidding y'all probably eight or nine ten maybe fifteen ornaments in their hands sister Neil and I kept thinking to myself they either got a big family or they don't know which one they like and they're just, they're grabbing them, and they're like, which one do you like? Oh, I don't know. I really like that one. Oh, but that one's cute. Oh, but you know, that reminds me of the kids. Oh, you know, but, it, but the husband used to play in the band. Oh, but you know, that reminds me of this. And, and they went, like, they had a reason why all 15 need to be taken. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't think that their husbands, who were obviously not in the, house, in the store with them, would understand the rationale why we need 15 of these. But, uh, but, you know, obviously they were probably down at the other end at the fudge shop drinking coffee. They might should have went in there before they're bankrupt from the ornaments that they had. But they had every shape and size and color and design from doctors to nurses to musicians to, to you know, dogs to angels to stars to snowmen to reindeer. I mean, you think of an ornament, it almost was in there. I mean, they had dogs, they had ornaments for your own pet. You could take a pet ornament. And I'm like, man, they had ornaments for everything, all of them. And you saw in that store, if you walked around long enough, that there was an ornament of every shape, size, color for somebody. The idea behind it was that anybody could walk in there and they wanted an ornament that could be specifically calling their name. Obviously, it's about a marketing scheme or strategy. But I began to think about that in the terms of the spiritual aspect of the church and the world. You see, we're like ornaments on God's tree. We all are different shapes and sizes and colors, personalities. You know, as a kid, we teach our kids, Jesus loves the little children, red, yellow, black or white. They're precious in his eye. I mean, we tell the kids that everybody's different and it's okay to be different. That's what we tell them in children's church. We tell them Father Abraham had many sons, but Father Abraham wasn't white, so... We're going to tell them about Father Abraham. we got to understand that Father Abraham was a little bit different skin color than us. We, we talk about it. They go to school together. We, we, we talk about that stuff. 
So in, in God's tree of life, if you will, God's family tree, God's family tree is, is plastered with various ornaments. God's family tree has murderers on it. God's family tree has prostitutes on it. God's family tree has liars and deceivers on it. God's family tree has step-parents on it. God's family tree has dysfunctionality all throughout its history. I mean, God's family tree's got some pretty crazy ornaments on the tree. We're all different shapes and sizes and colors and kinds. Just like there are snowmen, Christmas bell, reindeer, shiny, bright, sparkling, beautiful. Everybody looks for their ornament. Webster's Dictionary describes an ornament as anything serving to adorn, to decorate, to garnish, to trim, or to make something look better. That's what an ornament is. It is something to adorn, to decorate, to garnish, to trim, or to make something look or appear better. Most of the people, most people that have a Christmas tree in their house, they'll have different style. People that have multiple trees, some people only have one tree. But I've been to plenty of places where it was like Christmas tree heaven, man. They robbed every Christmas tree store in town. And uh, I've never been to the Biltmore at Christmas. I've had plenty of people who have and have talked to me about the various hundreds, hundreds of trees and rooms galore that are everywhere. But I remember even in my house and, and even at other people's houses that I've been to, that a lot of families will have multiple trees. And some of my family may do some of the things you do. A couple of people in my family have multiple trees. In the main family room where all the Christmas presents are, typically in some of my family's house is the most elegant of trees. Man, it's got the gold trim, the big purple and silver gold balls, and the tinsel and all the stuff, and majestic star angel. I mean, something that looks like it came out of, you know, better, you know, you know southern homes, southern magazines, living. I mean, just something spectacular. But in another room of the house, they got all the homemade ornaments, gingerbread cookies that have been hardened and poked a hole in, cut out fish and cut out ornaments and hand-painted ornaments and ornaments with handprints on it as babies established in 2020 or whatever it may be, you know, and all the rinkety-dink ornaments, as you will, that's not really elegant, but they mean something to us. They're the you know, hand-me-downs, great-grandmama's, you know, little precious memories ornament or great-grandmama's teeth on a rope or whatever it may be. Everybody has their ornaments, you know, got them all. Some old wooden spoon or, you know, whatever else. You know, maybe that brings trauma to some people because they got beat with it. Now it's an ornament on your tree. But everybody has these hand-me-down ornaments. But quickly, I want to talk to you about the different ornaments that sometimes hang on God's tree. And a lot of times... A lot of people are looking for God's tree, God's church, to be like that formal tree, all prim and proper and put together in suits and ties and dressed, looking the best part. But do you know that God's not interested in everything being put together? He's interested in putting things back together. Remember what I read to you in Isaiah 64 and 8. We, he is the potter, but we are the clay. God purposes to and specializes in putting things back together. He doesn't need us to already come pre-cleaned, pre-cooked, pre-dressed, and pre, if you will, pre-Christian-y than we're supposed to be. He expects us to come as sin, come as sinners, and all men most miserable, and he does the cleaning. 
He does the making sure that we are right and, and spirit and soul and disciple. God doesn't expect the sinner to know what to do. That's the whole purpose. They're in sin. But you have to be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why God expects, the Bible says he's married to the backslider. He tells the Pharisees, he said, I didn't come for people who think they're healthy. Nobody needs a doctor when they're healthy. They need it when they're sick. I come to the lost sheep of Israel. I come to seek and save that which is lost. If you don't think you need me, Jesus said, then I'm not for you. I'm coming for people who need help in their life. So we talk about God's tree or we talk about the ornaments of God's tree. Sometimes it's not always the elegant things that we see that God's looking for or that he has hanging in his tree. One particular ornament is the tarnished ornament. A lot of people have these versions. A tarnished ornament is literally an ornament that over time has lost its luster, its, a, its beauty. Maybe it's a, a, a metal a ball, or maybe it's, even if it's the plastic kind, but it's been in the attic so long and the heat, it went from red to light pink. It's not quite as shiny and translucent and reflective as it once was. Now it's kind of dull, pinkish, kind of not real pretty. We still have it. It's still fully, Brother James, whole. It's not broken. It just don't look good. It's just not good. It's not even really that it's super atrocious looking. It just doesn't look that good. It just, yeah, it's kind of one of those, yeah. In God's tree, it's the same way. There's a lot of things in life, people on the initial forefront, they look beautiful until you get closer to them. See, a tarnished ornament, it looks beautiful far away, but the closer you get, the more you see the imperfections in the tarnish of the ornament. It's the same way in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that will appear to be good, beautiful, stand out, but the closer you get to them, the more you get to know them, the more you'll start seeing the imperfections and the luster that are lacking and the light of Christ is not shining as brightly as it once was. It's not that they're bad people. They're just not quite where they used to be in terms of adornment with the light of Christ in their lives. Sometimes tarnished ornaments can be peeling off of paint. And then in a spiritual sense, that would be considered the peeling back layers of joy, peace. One time you were happy, but now you've lost your joy. One time you were shining brightly, but now you're just barely flickering. You maybe have had a disagreement with a friend, a mate, you've never made up, unforgiveness, your light is dim, and it's, it's there, but it's, it's barely hanging on. You become tarnished. But you know, God likes tarnished ornaments because, again, he is the potter, we are the clay. He knows how to fix tarnished things. He knows how to do a, a revamping or, if you will, a resurfacing of our lives. It doesn't mean he has to throw everything out and start over. He just has to redefine and reshape and kind of sand it down and smooth it over and put a fresh coat of spiritual paint on it and just get it over, just kind of smooth around some of the rough edges and get it back to where it once was. But there's another type of ornament. It's the ugly ornaments. We all have those. Every year you go look in the box and you go, gosh, why do I still keep this thing? Man. And sometimes maybe you, you know, do a little bit of, inventory and throw some away over time 
Or you can be like some people and be a pack rat and you don't let go of anything, no matter what it is. You just can't let it go. It's like, yeah, it's horrible. It's hideous. This is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Somebody gave it to me. I sure feel bad throwing it away. Well, bring it to me. I'll show you what to do with it. I'll help you. They didn't give it to me, so it won't hurt my feelings as much, so it won't matter to me. No, but but we we see these all the time. I've been to people's houses, and I think to myself, wow, what a tree. I wouldn't have done that, but wow, that's quite the tree there. It's not but trying to be judgmental by any stretch, but at the time, you just think, what were they thinking? You know, I've seen people, they got purple bright purple uh, balls and ornaments that are, are pristine sheen, got gold trim, I mean, very elegant. And then they got Cheerios on a string right beside it. Interesting concept there. And then they got tinsel drizzle dra uh, draped all over the tree and got these gold balls and gold, uh, all kinds of a gold raiment on there. And then they got Multicolored lifesavers hanging on the tree. Or candy canes. You're like, wow, they literally, I think, went to Walmart and bought everything on the rack and just put it all on one tree and tried to just make sure that something was on the tree this year. No design, no other than just, I guess, a smorgasbord. But I've seen where people bring out, you know, some of you probably have had this happen before. I haven't had this privilege yet. I'm sure in time I will. But I've seen other people who's had this privilege where, you know, maybe your kid or your grandkids in an art class at school huh. or a church. But Miss Brenda wasn't there helping them. And they make you an ornament <laughs> for Christmas. And to you, it's the most beautiful thing because little Johnny made you an ornament. But to the rest of the world, they go, oh, my God, what is that? Did little Johnny take all the paint and just dump it on here and say that? Well, I mean, what? I've never seen a, a snowman that was tie-dyed. That's just not how that works. What kind of what kind of snow is that? You know? It might be beautiful to you, but to someone else, it's like, ugh. But, you know, if we're not careful, that's what it's like in the body of Christ. People will come to church, and if we're not careful, people will watch them when they walk in and go, ugh. They're kind of ugly, spiritually speaking. They're nasty. They're sinful. They got an ugly attitude. They got a bad attitude. They're not nice. They're, 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 I don't know if that's the kind of people we want around. Ugh. And we furrow our brow and we snarl up our nose and we, we, even if we don't intentionally do it, we automatically just give that spiritual aura of righteous indignation like, we're better than you. Ugh. But do you know to God nothing is ugly? No matter how bad it's messed up, no matter how atrocious it may look to God, just like that mother who gets that horrendous ornament from little Johnny who dumped a whole gallon of paint on a snowman in the backyard and made a tie-dyed snowman and everybody else is going to be like, that's the ugliest thing in the world. But to mama, that's the most beautiful ornament she's ever gotten. That's the same way it is. Remember what I read to you in Isaiah 64? He is the father. He is our father. So to God, it doesn't matter how ugly, how broken, how screwed up I am. I'm beautiful to him because he formed me with his hands. Remember what I read. Don't misread what the what the Isaiah prophet Isaiah said. You are our father and we are the work of your hand. Just like little Johnny put it all together 
And it looked horrible to everybody else except to his mama who put it right smack dab center of the tree to tell everybody, little Johnny made me that in K3 class today. And everybody else is like, oh, my gosh, it's hideous. But not to mama. That's the pride of her tree. Well, it's the same way. We might have people that come to church where we look at and go, they don't dress like us. They don't sing like us. They don't talk like us. They're not like us. Ugh, why? Well, we don't need that kind of people here. But to God, God said, yes, yes, that's mine. I made that with my hands. They may not be what I want them to be right now. But they're beautiful to me because they belong to me. They belong to me. Luke chapter 11 verse 39 says this. Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Matthew 23 and 26 says, blind Pharisee, you must cleanse first that which was inside the cup and platter so that the outside likewise can be clean. Matthew 23 and 27 says you appear beautiful on the outward appearance but inside you are full of rottening or dead men's bones. What Jesus is saying is you put on a good aura you put on a good image but you're filthy and wicked and ugly on the inside. There are some people in this world they may have bad attitudes and be ugly but to God as we talked about this morning but to God there's still hope for them as long as there's still breath in their body there's still hope that they'll be okay. It is our job not to decide if they're an ugly ornament to God or not, but it's our job to make sure that we hang them on God's family tree and let God do the rest of the work and figure out where he wants them to be in terms of the proximity of him being the vine. Remember what he told John? I am the vine. You're the branches. He who is grafted in me will have life. But those who don't want to be the father is the gardener. He'll come by and he'll prune it. And in those that are not producing fruit, he'll cut it off and throw it away and burn it. But those producing fruit will stay grafted into me, the vine. It is not our job to decide whether they're worthy or not. It is not our job to decide whether they should be a part of it or not. It's our job to make sure they get hung on God's family tree, be grafted into the vine, be pointed to a cross of Calvary and say, I can't fix it, but you need to make sure you stay close to Jesus and get grafted into him. And whether I think you're pretty or not or ugly or not, it's not for me to decide. My job is just to make sure you're on the tree. You're on the tree. God will take care of the rest. If God were to display us like an ornament on a tree, what characteristics would we possess? There's another type of ornament, though. There's the ornaments that get broken. A lot of times, if you have an ornament long enough, I just had this happen just this year. It was an ornament I was putting on one of the smaller trees. I thought I put the hook on it. I thought it was hanging on the branch. I really thought it could click. I turned around to grab another one out of the box, and I heard, Psh! I turned around, and one of a kind. No other one in the box like it. Glass ornament is in 40,000 pieces on my tile floor. There wasn't enough Gorilla Glue in the world to put this back together. In fact, I don't even know where Frosty's carrot nose was at. That's how many pieces it was at. I had multiple pieces of a nose. It looked, a little bunny rabbit came and destroyed that nose and spit it back up on my floor. That's what it looked like. I got a dustpan, swept it up, and walked about 15 feet. Open up a trash can and watch that one-of-a-kind ornament fall into a trash can. Never to be used again. Never to be able to be recyclable. Don't know if I'll ever find one like it again. 
It's one of those custom kind of ornaments where it's customized. May not ever get one quite like it again. It's somewhere now been sent to a you know, trash compost somewhere and God only knows what it's done and where it's made it down the world. Never to be seen again. But one thing I am thankful for. But you, O oh Lord, you're a potter. I am clay. Another prophet, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, was taken down to a pottery field one day by the Lord. And he sees a guy sitting on a potter's wheel. The guy's spinning it. He's taking his hands and smoothing it out. Smoothing and smoothing and smoothing, getting all the rough edges, smoothing, 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 smoothing. He gets ready to put it into the kiln to harden it so he can paint it, make it beautiful for selling. So the realm of the Bible says that while Jeremiah was watching, the potter recognized there was something imperfect in the pot. And the Bible says that the potter took the clay and he smashed it. He broke it. He literally broke it. Now to the world, what a dumb idea. All that countless hours wasted. Just like that ornament shattered on my tile floor. I'll never be able to fix it. What a waste. But see, the difference is, Brother Primo, I could not put the ornament back together. No matter how hard I tried. You know, the old nursery rhyme said, Oh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horsemen and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Being he was an egg, they could have just got a skillet and fixed that right then. Would have been the easiest thing probably to do and just had eggs and, you know, have breakfast. But, you know, hey, whatever they wanted to do. The point that he made was is I saw a brokenness on my floor that I could not recover. But Isaiah and Jeremiah said there's a potter that when things are not right, he can break it. But the difference is when he breaks it, he specializes in putting it back together better than the time it was before it got broken. Because the Bible says... A broken, I quoted it this morning, a broken and contrite spirit the Lord will not despise. God is near the broken hearted. So when he breaks it, he doesn't, Brother brother Primo, put it, get a broom and sweep it into a little dustpan and throw it in the garbage can and say, Well, I tried to save them. Well, I tried to forgive them. Well, I tried to hope for the best, but it wasn't working out. So I guess I'll just let them go and I'll try. No, the Bible says he breaks it, but he makes all things beautiful in his time. He picks all those pieces back up. He sticks it back on the wheel and he begins to remold and reshape. And by the time, Sister Nell, he's finished, he makes the beautifulest thing. And because God knows how to make broken things be restored back to wholeness again. Now, I can't fix a broken ornament. In fact, I can't even fix a broken life. But God can fix anything that's broken in our lives. A broken spirit, a broken marriage, a broken home, a broken relationship, a broken job, a broken heart, whatever. God specializes in fixing broken things. Broken. Some people may have feel like they've been dropped by their loved ones, their family, their friends, maybe even their church. Maybe they have felt like in life they were depending on people and people have consistently let them down. Dropped them time after time after time after time after time again and broken them. They have a broken spirit. God's on their side. Then there's always the packed away ornaments. That's the ones we take them down, we look at them and decide, yeah, not this year. Put them back in the box, stick them back up in the attic. They collect dust, mold, rat droppings. They're just up there just 
taking up space. We don't use them. Out of sight, out of mind. Not my problem. Do not care. They're no fit to really have. They're not broken. They're not, they're not really ugly. They're, they're not tarnished. There's really, really there's nothing wrong with the ornament. I just don't like it. Don't want to use it. I hate to say it, but that's how a lot of people feel when they go to church. A lot of people come to church. It's not so much that they are broken and shattered beyond repair. Not everybody that comes to church has lost their luster or lack of, uh, of, of appeal. Not everyone that comes to church has been tarnished or, or is ugly. But some people come to church and they sit pew every Sunday, but they feel like they're packed away. Nobody knows they're there. Nobody cares that they come. They love Jesus. They pray. They read their Bible. They're not ugly. They're good people. But when they come to church, nobody speaks to them. Nobody shakes their hand. I heard a story just a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Sister Carol, if you make your way, it's therapeutic for all of us uh, at this moment. And, uh, hey, I'm giving you off Wednesday night. So, I mean, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and get my money's worth this week so that, you know. Um, I spoke, I, I say I spoke, I, I spoke with someone else who was telling me the story. There was a lady that they knew. I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to say where. It was Jenny at First Church of the St. Paul Redeemed Catholic Holiness Methodist Episcopal Church. And uh, she'd been going to said church for about three, four, maybe longer than that, maybe even five years now by the time the story was told to me. Church ran about 150 to 200 at the time when she got there. Now, over the years, it's kind of dwindled. She went, Sister Beulah, every Sunday morning and night, sat on the same pew. She didn't even move seats like some of y'all to confuse me where y'all are at when y'all aren't here. She didn't even play Russian roulette in seats. Same pew for five years. A couple weeks ago, I was having this conversation with someone who's in her family. Here's what they said. Yes, aunt so-and-so don't go to that church anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know what he said? She sat there for five years. She wasn't broken. She wasn't tarnished. She wasn't ugly. She loved God. But she felt like she was packed away. Nobody cared if she was there. Nobody cared if she came. They didn't care if she went. For five years, they had had deaths in that church, and she offered one of the best bakers I have ever eaten out. Listen, I've ate some of y'all's food too, so don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, she was fantastic. She was good. She was good. Every time there was a death, she'd always ask, can, can I bring something? She'd volunteer. I'll bring a pound cake. I'll bring a seven-layer chocolate. I'll bring a, what do you want? Tell me. Phenomenal cook. You know what they say? No, sister, we got it under control. Never offer her. Let her take one cake. Homecoming would roll around. She'd ask women's ministry presidents, hey, what, what can I bring to help accent homecoming? You know what they say? Oh, we got ladies in the church that handle that. We don't need you. Another event would roll around, Christmas church, Christmas party. She'd hear them announce from the, uh, from the stage, hey, make sure you bring a covered dish. She'd walk in, talk to the people over the committee and say, hey, listen, guys, uh, let me know what, what you need. What do you got a lot of? There's a lot of chicken. Tell me. I don't need to bring. Just tell me what you need. Oh, we don't need anything. I mean, you're more than welcome to come, but we don't need your food. 
five years, she said, I, I didn't think I was needed. I wasn't important. I went to church. I was faithful. I loved God. But I just was packed away on a pew. I, they were glad. If I, they didn't care if I came. She said, in the five years I was there, I could count on one hand how many people had spoke to me. And she said, I could even count on less than one hand how many people spoke to me more than once. And I sat in the same pew. She said, I sat in the same pew so long. She said, I had, pe- I had multiple people that moved off of that pew multiple times. Some died, some didn't die, moved in and out. Basically had changed into the guard at the end of the pew. And I had some people that sat there, sit there for years. and said, I didn't even know the name of the person in the pew because they didn't speak to me. I tried, but they wouldn't acknowledge me. And they sat on my pew every Sunday. And I still didn't know who they were for five years. Some people felt like they're packed away. But to God, they're still just as important. The ones in the box to God are just as important as the ones hanging on the tree. Because eventually the one on the tree will get tarnished or to get broken or to be ugly. But eventually you can always go back to that box, but there's still one in the box that looks as good as the day you bought it off the shelf. So some of the packed away ones are still just as good, especially if you break one. Finally, before I close tonight, though, we all have one that we always think is the valuable ornament. The ornament that we like the most, whether it is little Johnny's, you know, snowman, or whether it is some porcelain marble, some another ornament that we bought from somewhere, and we lived overseas and brought it over, whatever. We all have the ornaments that mean something to us. They're valuable. To some folks, only one or two items on their tree are the most valuable. That was little Johnny's, that was little Sally's. That was brother so-and-so's, that sister so-and-so's. Only for a set, you know, for most people, they have one or two or three on the tree that are the most. That's the ones they don't, you know, they can get rid of some of the other ones, but those are the gotta have forever ornaments. But can I tell you, I'm glad God doesn't do that. God doesn't go by his tree of life and go, well, you know, yeah, sister Jennifer, she's valuable, I should keep her. But sister Alma, I mean, it, you know, it, it don't matter, it's whatever. No, it's not how God does it. We might only think certain things on our tree is valuable, but whether it's tarnished, whether it's broken, whether it's ugly to us, whether it's packed away and doesn't seem important, but to God, every one of the ornaments were just as important as the, as the others. Now, I have this little Charlie Brown Christmas tree up here, not because I'm broke, can't afford no other one. No, these are my favorite because they're the easiest to put up and the quickest to tear down. I can put this all in a box in one drop. Bloop! And it's done. I can set up my whole entire house for Christmas before you can even get your, or your attic unpacked. So, uh, my little Charlie Brown Christmas tree here. If you've ever watched the story of Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, when the time comes to find a Christmas tree, they're all pretty much gone. He finds this little twig out in the snow. Not much, kind of frumpy looking thing little scraggling needles on it but overall pretty pretty sad and they put one ornament on it just one just to decorate just to try to give it something that looks presentable can I tell you today that if all the other if this is how our life is we're barely holding on we're thin we're frail we look like we're dying can I tell you, though, that if all the other ornaments, whether 
You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know. Can I tell you whether you're tarnished, whether you're broken, whether you're ugly and think of you're no good, whether you feel like you're packed away on a pew somewhere and no value to the kingdom of God, can I tell you that to God? Even one ornament means a lot. You know what I like about Charlie Brown's ornament? It's reflective. Because if you look at it close enough, you'll see yourself in that. I can see myself. Oftentimes I can see if I have stuff from leftover and lunch in there. You can see yourself in that ornament. You know why? Because God's design is when he's done with us, Brother Primo, that when people look at our lives, there's a reflection of him they can see in the ornament. Just like when I look in this, I see my reflection. God wants us to get to such a point we're so valuable to him when he's finished with us. When we look at it, he can see his reflection inside of us. He knows that he's finished the job. So my question to you is, today as we get ready to pray and be dismissed, what ornament do you want to be on God's tree this year? Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm tarnished. That's okay. God can resurface you. You say, Pastor, I feel ugly. That's okay. God can beautify and perfect you. You say, Pastor, I, I feel like I'm broken. That's okay. God specializes in super glue and knows how to put it back together and fix it. You say, Pastor, I feel like I'm really not in any of those categories, but I feel like I'm just wasting away, sitting on a pew. That's okay. Even if we don't understand and appreciate your talents and abilities, God's got plans for you, clears the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God has something for you to do if you'll just ask Him to help you do it. Or maybe say, Pastor, I want to be a valuable owner. I want to be the very best so when people see me, they see God in the reflection of my life. Either way, it is our decision to make in life what type of ornament we want to be on God's tree. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you today before we pray the benedictory prayer and are dismissed today. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, under the leading of your spirit, I've tried my best to preach your word. Lord, not because I want people to be impressed by my persuasiveness of speech or time of reflection and study. But more importantly, God, I want people to be able to see you as a reflection of my life. God, let us this week as we get ready to celebrate the Christmas season, let us make sure that our job this year is to be like the ornaments on a tree. No matter which ornament we feel like we are, at the end of time, we want to be considered a valuable piece of God's family that the world can see the reflectiveness of your spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray you would bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till you come again. May the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we'll forever praise you and glorify your name. The people of God together said amen.
before we pray the benedictory prayer and we're dismissed, let me say to you, don't forget, no midweek services this week. There will be an online Bible study slash devotion slash Christmas encouragement on 7 p.m. on Wednesday night on our social media platforms that you can tune into and be a part of as well. I love you. I am praying for you. If I don't see you before Friday and Saturday of next week, I pray that you and your family, uh, whether you're in-house, traveling, whatever, you have a very wonderful and Merry Christmas with your family. And uh, hopefully we'll see if you're out of town. We hope you have safe travels. Return safely. Bring us all back a gift since we're all here. Just bring us all back something. We, we'll take cash credit. We'll take Venmo, cash app, or we'll take it in physical form. We'll take anything you got uh, for that. Uh, just bring us anything but sickness. We'll be all right, and we'll take it. We hope you have a good Christmas. Uh, and also next Sunday, remember next Sunday we'll have normal service at 10 a.m. Sunday school, 11 a.m. worship, no p.m. But we'll have uh, regular uh, morning worship for you to come and have a time of just celebrating what Christ has done during this uh, Advent season. We'll finish our series on the characters of Christmas and I'll let you finish out the rest of your year strong and look forward to springboarding into 2022. 2022. There we go. i get it right. Now, if you'll stand all over the house this evening, and I'll let you stretch your legs for a minute, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Ertzberger to pray our benedictory prayer. Immediately following that, you can consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you. I love you.